Welcome to ArgMax, a show about machine learning, where we talk about interesting machine learning papers and developments in machine learning and the research community. My name is Taka Hasegawa. I'm Vahe Hagopian. And I'm Farouk Rahman. Welcome back, everybody, to our 12th episode. Um, today, we're here to talk about the paper called Implicit Neural Representations with Periodic Activation Functions. It is written by Vincent Sitzman, Julia Martel, Alexander Berkman, David Lindell, and Gordon Wettstein, uh, all uh, from Stanford University. Um, there is a nice um, website up there by Mr. Uh, Sitzman um, that you can take a look at that has a really nice video and walkthrough about this paper. Um, but Vahe, do you want to start us off by talking about what this paper is about? Sure. So uh, in this paper, they um, their goal is to represent signals. And to do so, uh, they come up with um, a new architecture Maybe not new in terms of the components they use, but putting it all together for this functionality, um, I believe is new. They, they use a periodic activation function, like a sinusoid, and deep neural network. And they use that to represent signals, real world physical signals. And the way they do it is they, they take a signal that is governed by some dynamic equation. So some, let's say, differential equation. Um, and they, they supervise the training of this network by using samples from this dynamic equation. So for example, let's say that um, you have a differential equation where you have the derivative of, this, of the signal plus some function of the signal equal to zero. Um, and you, you're, you're allowed to sample from that at, at, any, at any point in the domain. So like at any, um, let's say the spatial coordinates and a temporal coordinate. So there's, so this function, the function that you're trying to represent is a function of X, Y, Z, and T. So at any, at any point, X, Y, Z, and T, you can get a sample um, and if the output of their neural network represents the function, which is what they want it to represent, then they can differentiate the output with respect to the input, and that will give them the derivative of the function. They can take another derivative, and they get the second derivative. And they can actually supervise the exact function of those three outputs to whatever the, the dynamics of the underlying equation is. And they use that to do backpropagation. And eventually, the output of the of the first neural network will hopefully represent the, the signal. And they've achieved a lot of success with this. And uh, this has been attempted with uh, neural networks with the more common ReLU activation, but they've achieved much more success. And it's due to the fact that their activation function is this, is this sinusoid, as opposed to uh, rectified linear, which is which is a piecewise linear activation function. 
So, and they attribute this to the fact that um, sinusoids are, are have not, well, when you differentiate a, a, a sine function, you get basically a, a, a shifted sine function back. You get a cosine, a negative cosine. Uh, you get a cosine and then derivative of the cosine is a negative sine. So they're ba you're basically getting a sine function each time phase shifted. So not, not only are, like, when you take the derivative of a ReLU, you, you, you get a constant, and then you get zero for the second derivative. So there is, there's, you don't even have a non-zero second derivative. And, um, and they talk about how with uh, other activations which actually have non-zero derivatives, like the hyperbolic tangent, um, they're not as well behaved as, 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 the, as the sine function's derivatives. So that's, they kind of chalk up the success to that. Um, and they've applied this to a couple of problems, including actually just vanilla, um, just fitting an just fitting an image or a video without actually any derivatives used in training, just the pixel values, and they they see really good results, like better than what um, a relu based neural network can can provide. Yeah, it's really impressive some of these examples that they show of like recreating ground truth images from um, just this uh, parameterization of the function. Um, figure one, for example, on the paper shows this man holding a camera uh, and then it's like three rows of images. Um, first is the original image the second row is the derivative of that image. And then the third row is the Laplacian. And they kind of can compare all the different nonlinearities like Relu uh, against Siren. And Siren really is the only one that's able to really recreate, um, well, if you look at like the second derivative, I think Siren is the only one that does uh, uh, any kind of job, and then even for the ground truth, like it's it's really impressive the the amount of recreation that it can do. Um, yeah, this is a good image to the what I was saying before about if you look at the ReLU column, it's just blank because the second derivative of a, of of a ReLU function is zero, so you can't even you can't even re represent the second derivative of the original image and. And that's the way the way that ends up have the effect that has on the original image reconstruction is that the details, a lot of like the high frequency changes in the image, they won't be as good. Hmm, uh, like if you if you look at the relu image, the actual first row of that figure one, it looks it looks good, but if you actually examine it closely, it's going to look a little bit blurrier. Uh, yeah, it's bl it's blurred. And that's and that's because it does it has that really have that property of of no second derivative is a zero second derivative. The thing that I'm yeah, missing the with can uh, represent the uh, oh sorry go ahead. Oh the, the the thing that I was missing with the activation functions is the sigmoid. Like I I hope I wish like I was thinking about like the different sigmoid has a pretty good like derivative and like second derivative it, it it can go pretty deep and the the derivatives are pretty well behaved i think i think um, one of the i think one of the problems with sigmoid is that um they can get very small the derivatives so not not zero but 
but extremely small. Yeah. Which which can like if we look at if we look at column three here, we have the 10H, which also has a good second derivative, which has a second derivative. And it actually does reasonably well, right? It's not as good as siren, but you can see that figure, that outline of the man. Hmm. So I would guess Yeah, I think that's the I, I would guess sig sigmoid. Yeah, you're gonna saturate. Be, you're gonna saturate and yeah. the gradients are you're gonna have your gradients will just disappear. Hmm. Almost, yeah. Especially with like rounding effects. You know, like once if they if the numbers get too small, you can have all sorts of effects due to the floating point representation. So I guess uh, they talk about you know uh, implicit representations. Uh, what does that mean? So I was thinking about this. Um, uh, well, first they start off talking about like continuous versus discrete, and and the immediate thing that I thought about was like in image in the world of images there's svgs versus pngs right and the the advantage of svgs is like you can scale them however you want and their pixelation is is still perfect because it's a it's a kind of a continuous representation versus a png is like you only have the pixels so if you try to zoom like zoom in or like like expand the picture it becomes like pixelated um so I, I kind of made that analogy initially um when they started talking about discrete versus continuous and and the and the advantages of, of siren uh something like a continuous representation over discrete representations but i don't know what do you what do you think for i, I think for the, i think or, implicit refers to the fact that the the problem is defined of defined implicit the function is defined implicitly so by by the this dynamical system by its derivatives you're not actually given a function if you were given the function you wouldn't need to represent it by the neural network we know we don't we don't it's we don't have a closed form and, and it's probably not possible in most of these cases to get a closed form like actual expression for the function for the signal but we have like the dynamics so we know that like um you know like i said like some some differential equation um that governs this wave function or whatever whatever the signal is, and so that 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 differential equation with boundary conditions like implicitly defines some function, and we're using our neural network as literally a function approximator to 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 represent that function, that solution to the differential equation. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you use the I, I word. I think that's kind of similar. I think that's kind of. I would say like that's a what Taka said is like kind of a specific instance instantiation of kind of what you're saying. Uh, how um, where you're going from like for images, you're going from x y coordinates to this continuous representation, right? Because you're uh, typically it's going to be some continuous function, right? Um, that you're trying to represent. Yeah, so so the opposite would be an explicit representation, right? So Vahe used the word function approximation. I kind of think it's like Q learning in the tabular sense versus Q learning in the function approximation sense, right? Because like an explicit representation would mean that for uh for a specific position, you have 
you have a value there. Like it's it's that's an explicit representation, right? So a Q Q table would have an explicit representation, whereas a continuous representation is is more about parameterization and and function approximation. Kind of. You guys yeah, don't I, agree. <laughs> no, I I just think that once once we have once you have once you've trained the neural network, you are going to get values for any so you can you can plug in any xyz t whatever the independent variables are you can plug in any uh point in the domain and you will get a value of that function you'll get like an explicit value um and actually um what you're saying before about uh one of the advantages to having to this approach they talk about how in the past one of the way they solve these neural uh, these uh signal representation problems is by discretizing the the space hmm. the, the the domain and um doing it this way the way they do it they can actually kind of interpolate between uh between points that they're training on because they have this the the, the neural network is actually a continuous representation so you you you're you're creating a continuous function from discrete samples that you're training on. So you're mapping uh, X, Y in terms of where you are on the spatial grid to pixel intensities, right? Uh, in the image example, that's what they're doing. Sure, so yeah. so your, your data set becomes X, Y, you know, which pixel you are on to the RGB value at that pixel. Yeah. Right, if you're trying to represent um, an image. Yeah, so that's that's on page four. A simple example: fitting an image. Consider the case of finding the function of uh, the two-dimensional real numbers to three dimensions x to five x that parameterizes a given discrete image f in a continuous fashion. Blah blah blah, and then. The loss is basically becomes mean squared error. It seems like because this where, is where are you looking? Where are you looking, Taka? Page four. So let me show it to you guys on the screen too, so that we're looking at the same thing. Yep. Consider the case of finding the function that maps the two-dimensional um, vector to a three-dimensional vector. Uh, this is the example uh, Farouk just said, like uh, a pixel to an RGB value. Pixel to an RGB value, exactly, yeah. Um, so this so, so, enforces... So that, that, that uh, example there has none... Um, it doesn't have those second-order... I guess uh, constraints, right? There's no constraints in in the second, like in the second so, uh, so, first order or second order space. It's just, uh, you know, basically zeroth order position mapping to like intensity. Yeah, it's still, mm -hmm. it's implicitly defined, but but by 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 points in the actual function itself. There's no derivatives in this case. It's yeah. very simple. It's just the, it happens to be if you yeah. supervise in this in this like zeroth order domain you happen to get the, because, you know, as Vahe mentioned, the derivative of a 
the derivative of a, a sinusoid is another sinusoid. Um, if you kind of parameterize or you architect this this siren or this uh, uh, neural network in this manner, when you take uh, when you take the derivative of that network, which you can, uh, um, you will get the yeah you yeah once you've learned the function and you take that derivative with respect to the input, you will get the first order or second first order. Derivative, yeah, yeah. And so you yeah, can so actually get a function for once you've learned this like neural network, you can kind of take the derivative and you can get the function for the first order term and or the second order term. And I think that like that's what they do in figure one. Yeah. So so they have only these finite set of points given to them in, in their data set, which is the pixel value. So like but in this case it's what? Like two two fifty five twelve by five twelve. So you have five hundred twelve times five hundred twelve pixels. Discrete, right? But this function, the output of the neural network is continuous. Well, not really because it's stored on a computer, but for all intents and purposes, you could plug in any X, Y point, floating point number, and you're going to get a value out, right? But even though the pixels themselves were not at every possible value, they're only at 512 times 512 values, right? So you're, you're taking this, this input defined discretely and you're creating a fun continuous function. So it's going to interpolate this cat between all those original pixel points that it was trained on. And this new continuous function that, you know, looks like the cat can be differentiated. You can get the first order derivative of this, of this cat image and the second order, order derivative of this cat image. How will this do with out of domain test data? Like what if we give it in, like in a 513th and 513th? Oh, oh, you mean, oh, you mean like upsample? Uh, I guess it's in a way upsampling. Yeah. What if it? What if we query it like, for like, like out outside of, of this pixel range? Well, I'm assuming that they map. Um, so I think what I'm, you could the, do is the pixel could... values are mapped to coordinates, right? So let's say like the top left pixel, that might be mapped to let's say like zero zero, mm -hmm. but then the, then the pixel right to the right of it might be like, you know. Uh, x equals 1, y equals 0. Mm -hmm. So in between, there's a whole bunch of new values that are interpolated when you look at that. Yeah, so like when you say out of domain, but like I think what Taka is actually, his example was like, what if you, let's say you just normalize everything to 0 to 1, mm -hmm. um, or like minus 1 to, or let's just say 0 to 1. Uh, what if you like sample outside kind of the space? So you're sampling outside of the, the space of the cat. Whatever function you learn, it will return something. I don't know if it'll return, like, for example, in that image of a cat, it'll probably return something close to the neighboring pixel, depending on how far you go. But like, uh, um, it needs to be in the domain. At of some the at some point, yeah, at some point, it's just going to be, um, it's kind of going to be kind of kind of like, yeah, it's not going to be uh, valid. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to return it's going to return something because it's continuous. Yeah. Like, and and it and it's if its domain is all real numbers, right? It's gonna it's definitely gonna return something. But like okay. Ferg said, it might not actually. Uh, it might be something. It's like that, when you do polynomial fitting, when you like fit a polynomial, sometimes the sides of the polynomial kind of like wave out and in, right? Like if you think about just in two D, you have a bunch of points and you're fitting a polynomial to it, and let's say most of your points are kind of in the center. Outside those points, your polynomial can be whatever. So like. Depending on the order of your polynomial, 
you might like contort the function such that outside those points, it'll do this weird stuff. In the interval, it looks exactly like you want it to yeah. look, but outside of the interval, it could look like anything. Yeah. So like, it's kind of the same thing here, right? Probably. Interesting. But to Vahe's point about, you know, this function being continuous, I guess then, like if I really wanted to like have a huge image of this cat, I could just sample like pixel zero, 0 0.1. 0.2 and then that way i could get yeah. like a 10x scaled version of this cat in perfect kind of precision yeah re relatively speaking yeah yeah so like for compression i think this is like pretty nice right perhaps right you can like compress an image to a neural network and uh you can transfer that neural network and then you can uh use that neural network to reconstruct the image right oh yeah but, that's a cool idea uh, they, they talk about, I don't know if you guys saw, but they mentioned, uh, not for this, not for reconstructing this cat image, but uh, for for reconstructing shapes. They talk about how one of their competitive competitors in terms of technology is occupancy networks, which is something we talked about last, last, last time. Uh, That's like solving the, uh, yeah, the sign distance function. Um the icono equation or whatever. Right. They have a nice they have, in the video on their on their on the you can watch it on YouTube or on their website. They um, they show how accurately they can kind of map out the shapes of objects compared to existing approaches. Like a lot of the fine details emerge much more easily. So uh, one, what is the what does the architecture of this thing look like? So like I think we talked about. So they are using uh, you know sinusoidal for their uh, it's for a, their activation function, but it's it's it's, it's not a convolutional neural network. It's no, it's a, That's it's a, a it's a vanilla multilayer yeah. perceptron. It's like I think they use uh, at least in for some of their problems they use like a six layer uh, MLP with with two thousand forty eight neurons yeah. per layer. And and one really interesting thing here I found was or I, I, I found interesting was you know part as part of their contribution is not just using a sinusoid. They said that there's a very specific way to implement this. Uh or, or sorry, like there's a very specific initialization scheme that they yeah. have to come up with. Um uh and and you know that initialized that initialization scheme i think is like founded upon i guess like uh uh if i recall correctly um like when you have like an in, you know when you have an input and you have an output for each mlp um the input of each activation will end up being like normally distributed and it doesn't it doesn't change the distribution so it's kind of similar to like other types of, you know, activations we've seen, like, you know, he initialization or Xavier initialization, but it's like pretty specific um, to, like, I think they have like a C parameter in terms of the uniform distribution and they pick specifically, I think like C equals three or six or something like that. So I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Well, they, they I mean, they put a lot of em they, they they emphasize that for a neural network to learn well, it needs to be properly initialized. And I'm I wonder if 
most of the time when you read these papers, they don't put they don't pay that much attention to initialization schemes, right? They they kind of use default initialization, whether it's uniform random or glora random or or whatever, and they don't actually spend too much time like tinkering with that. Whereas this group, they make a point of of being careful with how they initialize. And I wonder if that's because they recognize how important that is in general to get right, or if this is more maybe more fragile toward uh, bad initialization. So they 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 make it a big part of their paper. But yeah, I, I found that interesting. Actually, if you look at figure two in the appendix, it's on page 18 of the PDF. They do what Farouk uh, just mentioned, um, where they show all the layers, all six layers. Yeah, and they show how the distributions are. If you do, if you initialize in their method, all the distributions on all the layers look very similar, which is what they're going for. And there's like one other thing that they kind of like intuition that they mention is that the weights of their network can be interpreted as angular frequencies, and then the biases are phase offsets, which I thought was kind of interesting because you're 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 like representing this physical signal kind of like with this, uh, uh, in this like frequency kind of representation. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the sinusoid, the sinusoidal activation seems to kind of, uh, you know, like motivate this type of representation. So will this activation function work for like other normal, neural networks or like can i can i use this in in dqn for example as a yeah, as a drop a good, in so so, so think about that yeah that's a good question uh yeah go ahead via no like like in, in general like whether it's reinforcement learning or let's say you're doing image detection and you want to just swap out the relu and put in a siren what would happen so i i suspect um, like, let's say you're, let's just say you're trying to do image classification. Typically when you use a ReLU or a sigmoid, um, kind of the intuition is that a feature that is highly weighted is important in making some, you know, in terms of the, um, in terms of the information, uh, with respect to the label, right? If you think about information with respect to, uh, of the input with respect to, to the label, the, your neural network is because it's trying to like let's say you're just doing classification so you're like doing some sort of maximum likelihood if your parameter value right? is high if your parameter value is high that, that feature should be important yeah and so you're going to multiply you put that it feature with a, with a high value yeah exactly but when you put that feature now through a sinusoidal activation at some point like that you know because it's a sinusoid it's going to start getting smaller Hmm. Right. It's kind of like oscillating. Right. Yeah. Um, so what your network, you're going to try to motivate your network to kind of do is find a window, a find perfect, a window. Per, yeah. Like you, you can't, you, your parameter value actually can't get too high or too low. It's got to be yeah. in a window where the sinusoid is at, at its peak. Yeah. So it's going to also be more sensitive to learning rate because uh, depending on what you're like, wh where you are in the function, you're going to have a certain gradient and, mm -hmm. If you're, if, you know, your learning rate could like take it all the way, like you know, uh, uh, like like it could take it to the exact location, just phase shifted, right? And then you, and you're in the same place. Um, 
so, so like there's going to be a lot more like i guess like training potentially training instability but but you know i haven't actually tried it myself uh but i i suspect people have tried this um yeah, this is a weird activation function now that you mention it that way. Like, all, the other activation functions are like monotonic, monotonic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sigmoid's so, monotonic and, well, uh, so yeah, then if the learning rate is kind of pretty aggressive, we're jumping all over the place, basically. Yeah, although like, you know, sinusoids do play a role. Um, I think one of the things they do compare against is ReLU plus positional encoding, right? And what positional encoding does, I mean, it's from transformers, right? Uh, or transformers also leverage positional encoding, but it's like, you can think of it as a type of uh, feature engineering where you're trying to encode the, the position using mm -hmm. sinusoids, right? Yeah. Or using sinusoids of different frequencies. Right. right to prevent like when you face shit like uh to 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 basically hint the network on when you have like x from let's say you have like a 10 pixel image uh or no or like 10 pixel i guess like uh audio signal or something um uh so you have like you know 10 discrete units to like help uh tell the network where it you know which position it's trying to uh predict for because because you're using an mlp um, there, you know, I mean, there is not really that much, uh, there is a little bit, but, um, it, it's going to take a lot more samples. So like, you're kind of like letting the network clue in on which pixel represents which position, um, by using the positional encoding. Mm. That's why the ReLU with positional encoding Actually, you can see a second derivative, derivative there mm. uh, in figure one. Because you're like hinting at some of that information. Mm. through it, But it's a form of feature engineering, effectively. You know, right? Taco, like it's kind of interesting what you brought up because when, you, when you're representing signals, having those derivatives is very important because the signals, we know the signals have those derivatives, right? So you want you want the neural network to be able to represent that. Like, you know that the that that if the signal second derivative exists, you want the neural network signal uh, second derivative to also exist. But when we do like when we use our neural networks for things like classification, our function is not a signal. It's 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 just like this discrete set of values. Even when we're doing regression, like let's say we're doing Q learning, right? And let's say our DQN and let's say our, our neural network is represents the Q value. So the output of the neural network is the Q function. That Q function, what is it? It's the value of a particular state. How much, how much is this state action pair worth, right? And it's not so clear what that value function, actually what its derivatives are supposed to look like. I've never thought about that, right? Should it, is it supposed to have a second derivative? And, and, and are we crippling that Q function by using relus, right? Because we're, we're, you know, it doesn't have a second, it has a zero second derivative. I, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, I think part of it is it's dependent on the input, right? Like if we're working off of pixels, then I think there's some value to be had from this type of positional encoding or notion of like there's 
I don't know, there, there's some kind of structure to the under, underlying input. But once we have input that's kind of ignoring structure or is not like time dependent, that might be where this stuff is, is not too useful. So you're saying like, if you have an input of like, that's like a state space, like a discrete, not discrete, but like um, a tabular state space where each variable, each, each like dependent variable or input variable is like kind of different, like it's different than the other. That, yeah. Right? If it doesn't come from a physical signal, like a physical yeah. quantity doesn't have that kind of structure, maybe. Yeah, it would be it would be interesting to you you might experiment. still be able to do positional encoding within a particular feature. Like I I actually know uh at that point you might just like like the feature itself if it's like real valued that would have it but yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um Going back to the initialization stuff, it would have been cool if, if they did have some kind of ablation studies of like, this is how our initialization is faring against normal, like random or like Xavier. I think they do something, uh, if in the appendix they do have, I think I already mentioned it. I don't think it's an ablation, um, but they do, uh, they do look at the distributions of the input and output activations to um, to show that actually the theory, this is also another nice thing, the theory matches the empirical result where they solve for attractively, which is like, um, and they kind of show the plot, like, I think it's a red line in the, in, in the plot. Um, and they show that what their empirical results actually uh, achieve is pretty basically the same as the analytical solution for the activations. So they prove it and then empirically show it as well. Hmm. I mean, they're still using a uniform distribution, right? Like uh, that's what Xavier and like, um, you know, a lot of whenever we're training from scratch, we are still using some sort of random uniform um, uh, type of distribution for similar reasons, right? Um, because you want, you do not want the magnitude of your weights to kind of like start shifting. Um, so, and that's why I, I think also sometimes you'll use like, like, you know, normalization and things like that, uh, as layers, but, uh, um, uh, it seems like when you change the activation, you have to, whatever you, whatever you're playing with things like activations, you have to th start thinking about, uh, you have to start thinking about the distribution of um, activations. And so whenever, uh, I should rephrase that, whenever you're thinking about new activation functions, you need to start thinking about the effect that would have and like what the, 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 uh, the initialization scheme is. Because hmm. it all affects the gradients. Go to, go to page, um... 25 of the PDF, section 6.3, the appendix, image in painting. So I, Farouk, maybe, th I thought this was interesting. They, they talk about traditional approaches to, to doing 
single image in painting either focus on diffusion-based or patch-based representation. And they talk about how um, in painting methods are based on convolutional neural networks and, gener and GANs, generative adversarial networks. I found interesting that the diffusion-based methods they're linking to are from like 2001. So I wonder, I wonder if they're, because this paper, I guess, was published in 2020, but they don't mention the new, the, the, the modern diffusion-based networks. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I don't think they, they, I don't think they actually looked at that when they wrote this paper, because both, all three of those references are from like 2001, eight, five, and seven. So like, like seven is this uh, fluid dynamics image in painting. That's like, uh, wow, maybe, maybe I, maybe I'll, uh, that makes me want to read that paper or at least skim it. Hmm. So actually one other thing, um, I think they mentioned this in the related work and like you kind of hinted at this too, Vahe, is uh, um, the relationship between uh, neural ODEs or PDEs uh, where you are kind of pairing a neural network with some sort of solver um, and how this is kind of related to, the, to, to that, um, this notion of like there, if there is some dynamical system that governs uh, like the wave equation or something um, or like, uh, something like that, that um, you can kind of learn this implicit re uh, representation because you're learning a function that, you know, with some input uh, is it, it, so basically solving a set of constraints or learning a, a function given the relate uh, a set of data points that have a set of constraints like with them, right? Um, so like, um, uh, and it's kind of like learning this representation. So like, I think there's a connection with that work. And I just see that in the related work that they mentioned that as well. Um, yeah, we didn't talk about, um, let's say you have, let's say you have this implicit representation and you're trying to learn. So you have, you have some like partial differential equation. Um, how do they actually form the loss function? Are there you're actually, well, let's, that's for the sine distance functions. Yeah, how do they actually form the loss function based on all these constraints determined by these different derivatives? Yeah, so if you look at their formulation section, that kind of explains it a bit. Um, do they add up like, do they just take, uh, um, do they just take multiples of the different pieces of the, of each, like they, they break the differential equation to different constraints and then they just. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so uh, if you look at page three, sex, the formulation part, you can kind of see in a high level overview of what they're doing, where let's say uh, you have like a set of M constraints and then um, it, it, it's like a more, uh, it's a more detailed version of what they state in their introduction. Like, you know, when they state that function that we, tried to explain initially, they kind of go in a little more detail about the set, the, the number of constraints and how the loss function would be. Um, uh, uh, basically like you're, you're given a set of data points that, that implicitly represent this function or a set of data points that um, where like, it's a set of solutions to your different, like to your, 
your, uh, uh, your system, your dynamical system. And what you're setting up is you're setting using those as uh, to set up these, the, these constraints. And then your loss function is going to penalize, like, uh, if you violate these constraints, there are some, you know, I, I, I mean, that's a very generic way of saying fitting anything, right? Like, I don't think it's, uh, uh, even when you're fitting, um, you know, lines for linear, uh, you're, you're fitting linear regression, it's, you can kind of view it in the same manner. So I don't think this is anything, uh, um, uh, new. It's just that their constraints not only take in, um, like the, like the first zeroth order input, which is like position, they can also con consider constraints between the, the, you know, the, um, I guess the uh, derivatives of the original, you know, uh, function itself. So I guess a better way to explain it would be, let's say you had, let's say you had the image gradients, the first order, and you had the second order. You could formulate um, a loss function that penalizes not only the x y, but also the second order and the third order, right? Like, let's say you had the ground truth of not only the physical signal, but it's, uh, or like the image, but you had its ground truth, first order and second order term. You could set all of those things up in this formulation and, and supervise through that. Right. So similarly, I think what they also, I think, do is you can use just the, like, you can use just the first order derivative. You can... Uh, supervise it through that then you can reconstruct the original image right because you you have a siren that represents the first derivative you can you can you can you can compute the you can basically to a degree there is some loss of information because you're um there's like the bias term or whatever when you integrate but like um to a degree you can still represent the original signal hmm. Bahi, does this loss make sense to you? I have to think about it a little bit. More. Oh, which loss? Are you looking at uh, equation three? Yeah. So omega is their domain, and C is the constraints, and you have M constraints. So, for example, with the image thing that we talked about, we said that we don't care about the derivative so then the constraints were just ended up being a of x and phi of x yeah right? exactly exactly um, and and what is that so omega is like the domain of your continuous representation so it's like let's say it's like uh um let's say that? you have like a two fifth two 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 four by two two four image it's it's not two two four by two two or zero to two two four but it's uh it's like any real value Right between so, so the loss function that's actually in in their implementation will be if you look down in that paragraph there's a there's a no no back back up where you were but in the middle of the paragraph yeah that's that's what they'll actually be using it'll just be a sum so d is the data set and it'll be a sum over all the different constraints uh, so they're just summing up the, those different losses. And and that's that's what they'll be that's what they'll be, they'll be doing gradient descent with. Hmm. 
yeah for images it like kind of ends up becoming this msc but if you look at their actual equation three that indicator function is just saying the one like you know the one mm -hmm. uh, omega right that is just saying like where you've sampled the signal so that is just the pixel locations mm -hmm. that is like pixel location zero zero pixel location one zero because though th that is where you have those that's that's the right, discretization right. of that's, your. that's where you sampled right? and the integral yeah. is what you would get if you could sample exactly. over all values but but exactly. in reality you're only getting one sample at a time so you have an estimate you're never you know exactly. over time right. you're gonna you're gonna accumulate all these all these uh values for the independent variables that's pretty cool i feel like if if the image example was so great like why is probably i'm i'm still probably not getting why the why these derivatives are so important and that it feels like it's it's a a major part of this paper that the derivative of these functions are giving this like siren much more edge over so, so regular value but yeah, the key the key here is that we're representing we're not trying to figure out like if you're doing image detection you're just trying to figure out if uh or image classification you're trying to figure out if if you're trying to like put bin a particular image you don't care about representing it making it look like what it's supposed to look like in nature here they're actually trying to reconstruct a real cat as as close as possible to what a cat looks like mm -hmm. and to get the stuff where that is high frequency changes like the whiskers mm -hmm. you, you need to have a function that has a non-zero second derivative you need to actually have a function whose second derivative matches what the real the real signal that real like if, if you actually look at the waveform of the of the of the of the light that's coming off of a cat mm. when you look at a cat like that's going to have a second derivative and okay. and, and and using sirens will capture We'll, we'll have that fidelity to what the true signal, that true cat signal, that image signal looks like. Whereas if you use ReLU to represent the signal, you're not, and you're going to get blurry whiskers. Interesting. Interesting. You point out the whiskers. Okay. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Just because that's a, that's like the, that's where it's most evident because of like the high frequency change. Like you're going from whisker on to no whisker to whisker to no whisker. So that ends up being blurry in the ReLU versions so i think one other reason why it's important it might it, it, it might be less important in i mean it's you, you can kind of see as Vi said like it is important in representing uh images and it, while you could maybe say like oh like maybe it's slightly less important there um for other like for example in the they do the they solve the poisson um like uh uh kind of yeah, yeah, figure three, um, where they, they where they solve this like Poisson editing kind of equation, where you're you're basically what what this does, you know, what you're trying to do is you first you compute the the let's say you want to blend two images, you compute the gradients, right of uh, which is the first derivative, and you compute the Laplacian of, of both images, and then you can combine. The gradients of the image right and then you can 
estimate what the composite image is. And this ends up, there's a, there's a paper for this, but like this ends up being um, uh, this like, uh, uh, this like Poisson uh, 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 equation um, uh, that you're kind of like um, uh, trying to solve. And hmm. um, they, what they say is like, well, if you have, if you can very easily have this implicit function, you can you can compute you can represent the implicit function of the first image. You can compute, compute the or or learn the um, the implicit representation of both images. You can take their gradients. Then you can you know add or or compose compose those gradients together. Maybe just like add them or or whatever. And then you can rep, uh, back compute the original uh, image, right? And 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 so you can like edit images in this manner. Um, hmm. So I think that's like where it's probably more important is when you're trying to, when, um, like, like, so, so in, in, in this problem, it's more important because you have more sets of constraints, right? The constraints are not just in the, in the position space. You have these other constraints in, um, like, like the sum of these two or, or, or whatever. Um, so I think, I think in other, the answer to your question, I guess, is like maybe for images, it's less important, but for some of the other problems, um, it it's more important. And um, interesting sirens may offer like some value there. Maybe that's why they're so much better at the 3D space recreation um, recreation of like I, I saw in in his video, he mm -hmm. talks about like um, the room. Yeah. Without the curtains. Um, so yeah, I think Farouk, that's, that makes it more, uh, yeah, clear to me that, so, yeah, this stuff yeah, is... but one thing is not clear to me is like, how important is this? Because, uh, the Nerf paper, which is, um, kind of similar actually came out around the same time as this, and they might even cite the Nerf paper and the Nerf paper uses, uh, ReLU plus positional encoding, right. For, for doing this type of like reconstruction. So I am not familiar with the newer stuff, uh, which is why I wanted to read this paper. But uh, um, yeah, so I mean, in, in their example, they show this like ReLU baseline versus theirs. But um, like the Nerf examples are, are, I mean, they're really good. So, uh, you know, what if you kind of scale this to some of the examples that Nerf did um, focused on reconstruction? Is Siren better than like... If Siren is better than um, what Nerf did, then maybe Sirens are what people are using now. I don't know, um, right? So I guess that remains, to, or maybe I, to me, it remains to be seen whether it's like better for reconstruction or not. It seems like per their motivation, it should be, but uh, I don't know if that's actually truly the case. Cool. Sounds like we, we need to take a look at the Nerf paper too. <laughs> see for ourselves um all right i think that's pretty good coverage of this paper anything else you guys wanted to talk about there was the hyper networks thing that they did oh yeah hyper networks cool. was pretty cool yeah but uh um where you use a hyper network to output the parameters of a siren or the the weights and um the initialization of a siren 
Where do they talk about that? I saw that in the video, but I didn't. They do that. Uh, they kind of try to compare it against GANs and stuff because, you know, one of the downsides of um, th this implicit representation is you need a, a neural network for each in image. So when you were talking about out of distribution, that's what I initially interpreted uh, was like, what about images that are like not that image? Um, so uh, yeah, so you need a you need a neural network for each image in the in, in, per this formulation. So what they try to do is they say, okay, what if there's a network and it's conditioned on like maybe some sparse input, like a few pixels, or it's conditioned on like some noise vector or something. And what it does is it outputs a siren that you can use. So it outputs the function that you can use to regenerate the, or, you know, sample, sample the actual image. Right. Um, so it's like kind of a cool, cool way to solve the pro solve, try and solve the problem of like, Hey, you have a single, um, you have a single neural network per image. Right. So now you have a single neural network that outputs a neural network or the parameters of a neural network. Um, uh, that can output the image. Hmm. Wow. That's cool stuff. All right. All right. I guess I think, on that yeah. note, um, we'll close it out for this episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you like this episode, please uh, follow this podcast. Uh, subscribe to it. Uh, follow us on Twitter at sign argmaxfm. Tweet at us. Let us know if you like this or if you want us to talk about different papers or um, have any kind of feedback. Uh, we're always uh, looking for listener feedback. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>